are, we are in a series, this is week two in a series that's back to basics, and it looks very schoolhouse rock because we, we want to get to what is, what is the most fundamental basic expression of the Christian faith. <clears throat> what is the Christian life all about? And I think the best place to start in asking what's the Christian life all about is to look at the life of Christ, right? Christian life, life of Christ, seems to make sense. And if we look at the life of Christ, he did lots of things. But all of those things happened in the context of one big thing. If you look at the commands, the words, the way that Jesus used his time and energy, the thing that Jesus cared about most was discipleship. Jesus spent all of his time investing in the people that followed him. And he leaves them with the command to go do the same for others. And so at at the very basic core of what it is to, to be a Christian, it is to be a disciple of Jesus who makes other disciples of Jesus. And so it's worth spending a month talking about what does it mean to be a disciple? What does discipleship look like? And what does it look like for us to do that as a church? And a little review from last week, there are tons of definitions out there for what discipleship is or what a disciple is, but, but a really simple one that we, we have landed on that we're going with is taken directly from Matthew 4.19. It's the invitation that Jesus gives to his disciples that Jeff read from last week. It's follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Right? And in that, we see the three points of what a disciple are. Follow me. So a disciple is first someone who is following Jesus. And then I will make or I will transform or I will change you. A disciple is someone who is being changed by Jesus into fishers of men, fishers of people. He's enlisting them in his mission to seek and save the lost. And so a disciple is also someone who is on mission with Jesus. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and on mission with Jesus. A disciple is all of those things. He's not one or two, um, and then decides that two or three are optional. A disciple is a man or a woman who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and on mission with Jesus. And so at the, very, at the very base of what the Christian life is, it is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, being on mission with Jesus. And so, so today and the next two weeks, we're gonna look at each of those components and we're just gonna do a deeper dive into what each of those is. And so today, the first one is someone who's following Jesus. And so what what does it mean to follow Jesus? And really, I think this is something that a lot of us have heard. We've heard of following Jesus. And we're very familiar with those terms. And Dallas Willard would say that that being familiar with something concerning religion is almost a danger because if you're too familiar with it, you actually become very unfamiliar with it. Right? You think you know exactly what it means and it gets embedded into your subconscious and so you hear following Jesus and you have a mental picture of what that looks like and, and all of a sudden you've not thought critically about it in a really, really long time. And so you think you're really familiar with it but actually you're very unfamiliar with it. And each one of these components seems very simple. 
It seems really familiar, but it's worth us revisiting it and saying, what does it actually mean? And so, what do I mean we may not be too familiar with it? I think Apple has something to teach us when we look at what it means to follow Jesus. That may be shocking to some of you, I know, but go with me. How many of you, you know that Wednesday, Apple had an event where they announced new products? Did, it, did anybody tune in live to watch the presentation? It's okay, you can be a nerd here, we're allowed. Yeah, like tens of thousands of people log on to watch these events live every fall when Apple unveils what their new products are. And so Wednesday, we found out that there are new iPhones coming and there's a new Apple Watch coming. And in all of the videos and the articles and, and the, the conversation around this, people are asking, okay, what, what size screen is it? What kind of chip does it have in it? What's the processing speed? Um, what, how many megapixels does the camera shoot? What are the camera setups? Is there, is there an actual zoom? Is there not? Like, what's the battery life? We, we obsess over all these details and features that these devices have. And while Apple is very concerned with you liking the iPhone, the Apple if you follow the business and the strategy of Apple, they really don't care about the iPhone more than anything else. They don't care about the watch more than anything else. Truly, I think Apple cares about cash more than anything else, but, but really, as they look at their business strategy, Apple doesn't care most about the phone. They care that you are bought into the Apple ecosystem. Apple wants to infiltrate every single part of your life. They want you to have an iPhone and an iPad and a watch. They want you to get your TV from them. They want your laptop to come from them, your desktop. They want your Wi-Fi router to come from them. And they have dumped over a billion, with a B, a billion dollars into autonomous vehicles because Apple wants to make your car too. Because what Apple knows Apple knows that there is dissatisfaction built into every single device that they make. The second you get that phone, there is a countdown until it's out of date. The second you get that phone, it has a shelf life because somebody is going to come out with a phone that is faster and sleeker and smarter and does a new cool thing that everybody's gonna be really excited about. But they know you won't leave after the iPhone X because they have infiltrated every part of your life. And for you to give up your phone would mean that you're gonna have to change the way you do your calendar. You're gonna have to change the way you do your email. You have to change the way that you, you watch TV. Apple cares far more about tomorrow's launch of iOS 12 than they do Wednesday's announcement about a phone because that operating system is embedded into your life. And the reality is when it comes to following Jesus, so many of us have fixated on phones and watches and features and things that come with it and we have lost sight of the bigger picture of what it is. We become very, very focused on, on all of the things that following Jesus means. And we've decided that following Jesus is, is, is about is about moments, it's about experiences. 
It's about moral, moral standards or, or behavior modification. Following Jesus has become a destination, an endpoint at which we arrive. When in reality, the bigger picture of following Jesus is that it is not a destination, it is a direction. And a direction that doesn't have a stopping point. That's the bigger picture of following Jesus. You see, really, Jesus is inviting us to far more than a destination. He's inviting us to a way of life. Right, so let's take a minute, let's take the next several minutes, and let's look at some of the very first people to follow Jesus. All right, if you go in your Bibles to Luke chapter five, this is like the very beginning of following Jesus. And Jeff read from the, the story in Matthew four last week, um, but we're gonna look at, at Luke's telling of it. It's in Luke chapter five. And a little bit of background on the story is that it takes place at the lake of Gennesaret, which also goes by the name Sea of Galilee. And neither of those names may mean anything to you, but if you grew up around church at all or have been in for a while, the Sea of Galilee is a lot more common to you than the Lake of Gennesaret. But that's where this is happening. This is in, in the backwoods, redneck country of the Roman Empire. And some geography of the Lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee is that it is very, very rocky and shallow near the shore. And then just a short ways out, it drops off incredibly deep. There's like a cliff underwater. And, and if you want to make your living fishing, not just in the Sea of Galilee, but a lot of bodies of water, what, what you'll know is that the fish like to hang out near the shore where streams and creeks dump oxygen-rich fresh water into the sea. And they do that at night because during the day, they're a lot easier to be caught and it's hot. And so during the day, they hide under all these rocks near the shore. They don't go into the deep water. They like to hang out in the shallows where there's a lot better water to find food. And so if you are a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, you fish at night. And you fish close to the shore. That's the only way you're going to catch fish. Otherwise, you're just praying that a fish is stupid enough to swim into your net or onto your hook in the middle of broad daylight. And so Jesus comes to the Sea of Galilee in Luke chapter five. And it's one morning as some fishermen are finishing up work, and so let's go there. It says, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, again, the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people in the boat. Okay, so it's morning. Simon, who would also be known as Peter, and his friends are, are finishing up their night's work, right? Because they've been fishing all night, and they're cleaning their nets because that's what you do at the end of the day. And Jesus has a whole bunch of people that want to hear him, and he doesn't have a PA system. He doesn't have an amphitheater set up for him. And so he decides he's going to use the water where sound travels faster and better, and he's going to get some space from the crowd. And so he, he asked Peter, Simon, to take him out in his boat. Now, if you read chapter 4 in verse 38, we find out that Simon owes Jesus one because Jesus has healed Simon's mother-in-law. 
And depending on your relationship with your mother-in-law, maybe, maybe Jesus owed Simon one because he'd healed his mother-in-law. But either way, Jesus seems to think um, it's worth don't laugh too hard if you're sitting next to your spouse. Um, (laughs) Jesus seems to think this guy owes me one. And so he says to Simon, hey, can you take me out in your boat? And, and he really does need Simon's help because the water is going to act for what he needs it to, but, but in the sea during the day, that boat's gonna move around a lot. And so he needs somebody to keep this thing pointed in the right direction so that he can teach. And so Jesus enters Peter's world, and Peter has no idea what's about to happen, but they row out onto the lake. And Peter teaches or Jesus teaches while Peter sits and listens and keeps the boat steady. And verse four says, when he'd finished speaking, he says to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Okay, remember, if you wanna catch fish in Galilee, you do it at night and you do it close to the shore. You don't do it in the deep water and you don't do it during the day. And so Jesus who is not a fisherman, right? Jesus is, is, is a land person, is a carpenter. He, he is a penniless guy that goes around telling people about God. Jesus says to the professional fisherman in his boat, thanks, why don't you guys go put out into the deep water and drop down your nets for a catch? Peter responds, master, which that word in the Greek, epistete, is, um, uh, it says master or teacher. Another way to translate it would be boss or chief. Um, and just, I don't know if you know anything about man code, but um, talking to another man in a patronizing tone and calling them chief is not a way to get on good terms, right? If you've ever been called chief or buddy by a stranger who's not really acting very nice, um, that's not a great way to start a relationship. And so, so Simon says, listen, chief, I understand, you're a carpenter, that's great. Um, me and my, my gang of professional fishermen, yes, we've, we've been fishing all night. We're exhausted, and we didn't catch a single thing. But since you, oh homeless carpenter, <laughs> insist, we'll put down our nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Here's something else about being a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. What you knew is that every once in a while, an underground stream would open up into the sea. And deep underwater, fresh water would start pouring into the sea and it would create a feeding frenzy for fish. And it would usually only be there for for a week or two. But if you knew where one of those streams was, in a week or two, you wouldn't need to be a fisherman anymore because you'd be so rich. And so, so every day when Peter went home and went to bed as the sun was coming up after he'd cleaned his nets, Peter dreamed that he would discover one of these underwater streams. This is, this is hitting the jackpot. This is the day trader who picked the exact right stock 
in the morning and sold at the close of the day and had a huge windfall. This is the thing that Peter has dreamt about his entire professional life. He doesn't, he doesn't even yell to his friends. He signals them because he does not want a single other fisherman on the lake to know that he has found the honeypot. And, and then, after being excited... Peter is on a boat with Jesus, and he has to start rearranging the furniture in his mind and asking, what does this mean? Because the thing that I have wanted my entire life, this guy who, who knows nothing about my line of work, he can have it, and he just gave it to me. He could, he could have everything that I've ever wanted, and he chooses to have nothing. So eventually, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Jesus witness, or Peter witnesses Jesus' perfection and power and holiness and recognizes this guy's got something going on that's way out of my league. This guy has something that I don't understand. He's got a connection to God that I don't have. I have way outpunted my coverage on this one. And so he falls down at Jesus' feet and he says, look, I'm not you. Please, I, 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 don't, I don't even belong in the same boat as you. And Jesus' response it says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Jesus responds to this guy who is humbled and, and broken and destroyed with grace and an invitation. And I think it's really important that you look at what the invitation was because the invitation was not to any destination. Jesus did not invite Peter to say, to say yes or to say a prayer or to go to church more or to change moral parts of his life, to do behavior modification. That, that's not what Jesus invites him to. He invites him to a completely different way of life. He says, no, 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 you don't need to be afraid. I'm here with you. I came to you. And now, you can come with me. And you're still gonna be a fisherman, but it's not anything like you ever thought being a fisherman would be. I'm going to completely transform your reality. That's the invitation that Jesus gives, right? The invitation, it wasn't to an event or to a moment or to an experience. It, it, was, it was to a completely different world that Peter didn't know existed. And we think that the answer to, to following the, the call of Jesus 
right? When Jesus calls us to follow him, we think that that, that is a, a one-time event or something that we achieve, right? It happened when, when every head was bowed and every eye was closed and, and the music was gonna keep playing until you raised a hand and somebody had made you feel really, really guilty about every wrong thing you'd ever done. Anybody been there? Right? We, we think that that's what following Jesus is. We think that it's saying a certain prayer, repeating after somebody. We, we think that it is, it is being baptized. It's taking communion. It's, it's being a part of, of something. It's going to a class where we can get more knowledge. It's, it's filling our lives with church activities right? So, so that we can look at our life and, and all of the things that I do, they, they look like I'm following Jesus. And those are good things. None of those things are bad. But that's not the call that Jesus makes to follow him. All of those are pieces of it, right? None of those are bad. They're iPhones and watches. They're not the ecosystem. Because all of those things are destinations. All of those things are things that you can achieve, things you can arrive at, markers that you can say, I'm there. I've followed it. I'm in. But that's not what Jesus calls disciples to. Because what Jesus realizes is that every single one of those things will not last your entire life. At some point, it will be done. At some point, you will have gotten that knowledge. And then it's just, how do I get more to make me feel like I'm still growing? If, if we make the pinnacle of following Jesus that I was baptized, what happens for the rest of my life? As someone who worked with students, I watched this, this, these intellectual gymnastics play out so many times. Right? At some point in middle school, I decided that I wanted to follow Jesus, and what I was told was that that meant that I was going to pray a prayer, and I was going to be baptized, and, and, and profess my faith in Jesus, and, and now, I, that feels so long ago. I don't even feel a connection to that moment anymore. So what do I do? Right? I've been going to church for so long that, that I just hope I hear something interesting when I go. But in reality, that's not the call to follow Jesus. Jesus does not call you to anything you can achieve. He calls you to a life that looks completely different from the one you can live on your own. And he doesn't call you once. Right? We just looked at some of the first words that Jesus ever speaks to Peter, and they are, come follow me. Diedrich Bonhoeffer points out in The Cost of Discipleship that if you go to the end of John's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 19, it's a conversation that, that Jesus and Peter are having to close out his Gospel. In John 21, 19, you were, it's recorded that Jesus says to Peter, follow me. The beginning of Jesus' time with Peter starts with Follow me. The end of Jesus' time with Peter is come follow me. The invitation to follow Jesus is one that happens over and over and over and over again. 
It's not a destination. It is a direction in which we ask Jesus every day, what next part of my life do you want? What is my next step with you? What what direction are we headed in today? And and I'll, I'll go there. Because again, let's look at what happened in that, in that story between Jesus and Peter. Right? Jesus goes to Peter. He meets him as he is where he is. Right? Jesus enters Peter's life. Peter witnesses the holiness, the power, the incredible nature of Jesus. And when he comes face to face with that, he says, I'm not worthy of that. You've got something going on I don't have. And when Peter makes that admission, Jesus responds with grace and love and an invitation to a life that looks completely different. And in reality, what Jesus does with Peter, he does with us. In Jesus, God entered our world where we were as we were. And he, he, and he showed us his perfection and his power and his love. And he did so most fully on a cross in you and I's place. He showed a righteousness that no one had ever had. That makes us keenly aware of just how broken we are. And when we have that realization, we say to God, I'm not you. I need you. And when we make that admission... He responds with grace and an invitation to come follow me. That is the good news of Jesus. He calls Peter, he calls you, he calls, he calls Peter the, the blue collar, redneck, third shift, uneducated fisherman. And he calls you. He calls James and John, also very uneducated, very well known for being loud, violent, low lives with a bad record. And he calls you. He calls Levi the corrupt, treasonous, morally bankrupt tax collector who had turned his back on his church and his community. And he calls you. He calls Judas the religious terrorist who would betray him, and he calls you. He calls the woman, the poor, the marginalized, sick, the hypocrites, and he calls you. He calls the rich and the religious elite who, who have no idea how far they are from God. And he calls you too. The invitation is the same. To everyone, every day. Come, follow me. And while following Jesus is not a thing that happens in a moment, while it's not a decision, it does start with a decision. It starts with a decision to drop your nets and leave everything and and follow him. 
right? That's the response of Peter to the invitation. And if you had asked him at the moment he said yes, what he was saying yes to, he would have no idea. He had no idea what direction his life was about to go. What he did know is that he had seen something that made everything else seem insignificant. He had seen a glimpse of God who could manufacture his life dream in a minute and said, here you go, have it. Because there's something far more important and incredible that I wanna invite you to. And so Jesus invites you to be his disciple, to follow him. And, and whether you have never heard that he wants someone even like you, or you've been sitting in church for a really, really long time and, and you've become so familiar, unfamiliar with what it means to follow Jesus, he is saying to you today and every day, come follow me. So the question is, do you want to? Do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to say yes to whatever it is he's going to invite you to? To say, yes, Jesus, whatever, whatever priority you want to make me rethink, whatever idea I might have, whatever wish I might have, whatever sacrifice you're going to ask me to make, I'll do it. Because I want you. I want a life that looks different from the one that I have on my own. And the cool thing is that when we say we'll do it, he lets us come. Right? There's no, there's no test for Peter to pass. The invitation is made. He says yes. And Jesus lets the blue-collar, third-shift, sarcastic, uneducated fisherman join the most powerful movement the world has ever known. That's an incredible God. And he has incredible things in store for his church. His church that follows him. And so I can't wait to talk more over the next couple of weeks about everything that, that saying yes to Jesus leads to. But it's a lot bigger than sitting in a church pew. And so, so maybe today you need to say yes to following Jesus because you really, really need something more than what you thought following Jesus was. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for inviting people like us to follow you. Lord, we are not we're not worthy of that. We are broken, messed up, silly people. Yet you invite us to be your disciples, to learn from you. And Lord, we want to do that. God, I pray for, for, for my friends in this room 
that have never really said that, that they want to follow you, that they want a different life. They don't want a sales pitch. They don't want, want a moment or an experience. What they want is something that really does have the power to transform them and this world. And so Jesus, I pray that you would give them the courage to say yes. And Jesus, for, for those of us who, who think that we've said yes, and maybe we did wholeheartedly, we said yes at some point. But we haven't said yes every day since. There, there are pieces of, of our lives that are closed off from you that, that we've not surrendered to you. Lord, would you show us what those pieces are? And Lord, today, personally, I want to say I give, I give it to you. I say, yes, I want to follow you. Lord, would you transform us? Would you transform this world? Jesus, we love you, and it is in your name we pray. Amen.